we've been talking about Paul's struggle with the circumcision party at, at, at the, that had come in behind him in those churches throughout Galatia were preaching a false gospel. So we've been highly centered on the gospel and how you come to, to a relationship with Christ in Christ alone. But today our focus is going to be moving toward how do we live a life in Christ? And this is where most of you are. Most of you have put your faith in Christ as your savior, but how do you, where do you go from there? How do you live out this Christian life? And I, I want to, the focal point today is going to be on that phrase, by faith. I want to begin by illustrating it a couple, a couple different ways. So I'm going to be reading from a familiar passage. I'm going to skip through it real quick. Listen to these words. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not experience death. By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness. By faith, Abraham was called, obeyed, and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus to the Israelites. By faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger. By faith, he instituted the Passover and sprinkling of the blood. By faith, they crossed the Red Sea. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. By faith, Rahab the prostitute welcomed the spies. By faith, so they did not perish with those who disobeyed. And what more could I say? Time is far too short for me to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Other people were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They died by the sword. They wandered in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts, on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All of these were approved through their faith. If you want to know how to walk in a relationship with God... Scripture makes it clear. There's only one way that you can please God, and that is by faith. When I first began to prepare this sermon, I would thought through personal illustrations, that, and yet I didn't want to make the sermon about me and my walk with the Lord, but sometimes personal testimony helps. It was by faith that I trusted Christ as my Savior as a 12-year-old boy. It was by faith that a 16-year-old young man who, believing that he could conquer the world with a, with a mind for mathematics and engineering, surrendered to the call to preach when I had no clue where that might lead. 
By faith, I prayed and asked God's direction for where I might go to college. Though I had scholarships all around the United States, I chose a small school in Central Texas that was known for raising up preachers. Howard Payne, by faith, I found my lifelong soulmate. By faith, we helped plant a church in Bangs, Texas, while right, right after we got married. By faith, we left that church because we believed they weren't standing on God's word. And God's word was more important to me than anything else. By faith, we heard God's voice to have children and raise a family. By faith, I stood there with my wife after 20 hours of labor, and we got the news from the doctor that things hadn't gone well. And I asked her, how are we going to make it through this? Susan said, by grace, through faith. 14 years, 11 months later, on July the 1st of 2004, stood next to the bedside of that same daughter. She took her last breath, struggling to breathe. And by faith, my precious wife called out to Katie and said, Katie, it's okay, you can go home now. By faith, we know that Katie's in a better place. By faith, God called us to leave the home that we loved and the people that, that we loved there in May, Texas, to come be your pastor. 17 years ago this week, by faith, we've seen God do incredible things. By faith, this church trusted God to do a, a major upgrade of our, our nursery and our facilities when there's no way that we could afford it. No way. But by faith, we believe God had spoken and we saw God move. We could go on and on and on. The truth is, far too often we only attempt what we can accomplish in our own strength and with our own ability. And as long as we only attempt what we can accomplish in our own strength and our own ability, we're functioning in our flesh and we will never get to see God move. And that, my friend, is not pleasing to God. That's why God, who wants to show himself to a lost and dying world, says it is impossible to please him without faith. And so the only hope that we have to live a life pleasing to God, a life that honors God, is that we walk by faith. Read with me Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Now I'll tell you up front that the, the, this word, Faith appears nine times or seven times in just these nine verses. Five of those times, the only it's directly connected with that that preposition, ek. It's the Greek word ek, which means by or from. And, and so the only two times that it is not connected to that preposition are the times that it is referencing Abraham historically. So every time that faith is referenced in relation to us as believers, it is by faith that we accomplish something. It is by faith that we fulfill God's purposes. The rest of chapter 3 continues that theme, and, and, and we'll hear that next week, because 17 times in Galatians chapter 3, we see that phrase or that word faith referenced 17 times. There's no question what the theme of Galatians chapter 3 is. Read with me. You foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? 
Are you so foolish after beginning by the Spirit? Are you now finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing? If in fact it was for nothing, so then does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing what you heard? Just like Abraham who believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. Now a note here in our translation, we're using the Christian Standard Bible and in the CSB, the word pistuo, which is the Greek word for faith, is sometimes translated to believe. And so in this text, when you see the word believe or believing, that is the same Greek word that is translated faith, okay? And so that's that word pastuo that appears either in, in noun or verbal form uh, seven times in this text. I want to talk about that for a little bit because it's, we struggle with that issue sometimes about, okay, what's the difference in belief and faith? Because it's one thing to believe in something, it's a wholly different issue to put your faith in something, to, to sell out to it. And in this passage, it's kind of a good illustration because that word gets translated in Scripture as certainly in some translations as belief sometimes. That though the word has both meanings, it has the meaning to believe, but to believe to the extent that you're willing to trust. Really, the biblical idea of faith is to not just have an intellectual assent, to believe that something's true, but to believe it to the extent that it's, you're willing to put your trust in it, that makes a difference in your life. There's at least four ways in our everyday life that this can be illustrated. Oftentimes, uh, I've used an example, I've heard pastors use an example of, uh, of maybe a chair. You have faith in those chairs that you're sitting in. Otherwise, you would not have plopped down in them when you came in here. You believe that they're gonna hold you up, right? And so you can say, well, I believe that that chair is strong enough to hold me up, but you only illustrate that and put that belief into action when you sit in it. I mean, I could say that I believe that, that I could stand on this table here, and I believe Jay Evans could stand on this table here. Now, whether he's willing to get up and stand on that table or not, I don't know if he has enough faith to believe that that table could hold him. But we can illustrate that in many ways. Our health and well-being is one way that we illustrate what we trust. Every one of you today put your faith in a major automobile manufacturer and engineers that you don't have a clue who they are. I, I put my faith every Tuesday and Thursday in the engineers behind Ford Motor Company. Because I get out there on I-35 and drive 65, 70 miles an hour down Interstate 35 with people around me going like this, all around me. You know, I'm going 65, 70, some of them are going 75, 80. And yet, I have put my faith in the fact that when I take my foot off of one pedal and put my foot on that other pedal, that that vehicle will come to a stop without me getting killed. We, we engage our, our, our trust in, in all kinds of things. And so in that illustration, we're putting our health and our well-being into something. We're, we're not just saying, I believe that those brakes will work. 
We're putting our bodies in that vehicle. There's other currencies or other commodities that, that we have in life that illustrate this. And I'm going to touch on a couple now and then come back to them later. But our finances is one. Where we put our faith or where we put our finances indicates where our trust is and what we truly believe. Jesus said that if you uh, invest your treasure in things on this earth, that's where your heart is. But if you invest your treasure in things in heaven, it indicates that, that that's where your heart is. Uh, this last spring, uh, last year, I guess it was in 2020, two years now, uh, oil reached an incredibly low place. And I am not an investor. Uh, I've, I, every once in a while, I've, I've uh, saw something that just did not make sense to me. And I thought, you know what, that's a no brainer. And that happened in 2020. Oil, actually a barrel of oil at one part, at one point in April of 2020 was selling for negative $16 a barrel. It didn't stay there long. It settled around $15, $16 a barrel. Well, I've lived, I live long enough to know that when the oil market gets that pressed down and gets that low, that oil and gasoline are not going to stay at those low prices. It goes down and it goes back up. Well, I don't know about investing in commodities, but I do know a little bit because I've invested in the stock market before. So I thought there's got to be some stocks out there that have been hammered because the oil prices are so low. Sure enough, every one of the, the energy companies had been hammered. Energy companies that have been worth $60 uh, for a stock price were down to five, $6 per stock price. Well, I didn't have very much money, but I took a little bit of money and put it in there. Why? Because I didn't just believe, I could say, well, I believe the price is going to go back up. I believe these companies are going to make it. I can say I believe it, but when I put my money in it, at that point, I was invested in it. And so one of the currencies that we just display our faith by is by our finances. And what you put your money in indicates where your trust is. I'll just simply suggest right here that if you are unwilling to invest in the kingdom of God, it says something about what you truly believe about the future in the kingdom of God. Those aren't the only two commodities, our relationships, who we trust and how we walk in our relationships indicates what we believe, because that's something that those, those relationships are extremely important to us and our time. It's probably one of our most precious commodities. As I said, we'll come back to these illustrations later. But I want to walk through this text in Galatians chapter 3. In this passage, there's at least five. Well, there's a lot of questions that are asked here. And, and I wanted to walk through those questions and, and boil those down into five statements or, or five topics for us to look at. The first one is this. Paul just simply looks at the Galatians and says, You foolish Galatians. That word, if you look at Bauer, Art, and Gingrich, uh, which is one of the most well-respected Greek lexicons, it translates that word idiots or stupid. You Galatians are stupid. You are idiots. Why would Paul say that to these churches that he had just planted? He'd gone all throughout southern Galatia and planted these churches, and now he looks at him and he said, you are foolish Galatians. Who is it that's cast a spell on you? Who has bewitched you is the, the New American translation of that verse. Who is it that has, has caught your eye to such an extent, gets to the root of the meaning of that word, that, that you're willing to be led away from Jesus? 
In fact, that word that's translated cast a spell has to do with what we're looking at, what we're focused on, what our eyes are. And so it's to be transfixed in a way in a spell. And so you see kind of a word play here. Who has caught your eyes and, 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 and confused you to such an extent before whose eyes Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified? You've heard the gospel you understand that it's through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ that you have hope. It's only through him that you have eternal life. And yet you have been tricked. You have been fooled to go back to living a life based on law. In fact, he fleshes it out a little bit more when he says, I only want to know this from you. Let's just break it down. Let's get real simple here. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard is our translation? That word is pistuo, by faith in what you've heard. Have you, did you come into a relationship with the living God? Did you receive the Spirit? Were you saved by your religion or were you saved by faith in what you heard about Jesus? Well, it's a rhetorical question because the Galatians knew that the only hope they had of eternal life, the only hope they had of salvation was Christ. Many of them had been Jews. When, when Paul and Barnabas uh, went through that, that region of South Galatia, they'd already left John Mark behind. And when they went through that region of South Galatia, they always started in the synagogues. They started sharing the message of Jesus with the Jews. And then when the Jews wouldn't listen or kicked them out, then they would also share with the Gentiles. And so the, the, those Jews who came to faith knew that their religion had, had earned them nothing. They had come to a place where put, they had put faith in the, the crucified and risen Christ for their salvation. But now these Judaizers were coming behind them saying, look, your salvation doesn't count unless you also get circumcised. And you have to become a Jew first before you can be a Christian. And so Paul is arguing that point and he says, what in the world's going on in your head? Let's be straightforward here. How were you saved? Well, folks, in a, in a group like this, a Baptist church, you've heard over and over and over, it's been drilled into your head that salvation comes by faith alone. You can't earn salvation. You know that. You came to Christ by putting your faith and trust in the crucified, risen Savior. And yet, how often do we let somehow the enemy trick us into thinking that now we have to live this life out by our own strength and our own abilities to try real hard? Paul says, you're a fool if you think you can live this life in your own strength. And in fact, it somehow seems we, we buy into this idea that now that I've professed faith in Christ, my eternity settled. So eternity is taken care of by faith. But now the hard part comes. Living on this earth, dealing with this, this mind and this body that, that, that struggles with, with flesh and sin, but I'm gonna, I can do that on my own. Paul says, no, you can't. You couldn't save yourself. You can't live out this life on your own. 
The second, verse 2 here, he says, it drives this point home. You are saved by faith. It was not through the works of the law, but by faith in what you heard that you were saved. And then in verse 3 and 4, I wrote it out like this. Uh, I initially pose this as a question, but here's the truth. We are dumb. We're just like the Galatians. We're fools if we trust in our abilities to live out this life. Listen to verse 3 and 4. Are you now so foolish? He uses that word again, the same word. Are you now so foolish? Are you now so stupid that after beginning by the Spirit, you're going to finish by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing? That word that's translated experience there is more often translated suffer. Did you suffer so much for nothing? There's an argument among translators about whether that word in this context should be translated simply experience or suffering. I actually believe that the way the New American Standard, the NIV, and the New King James translate that word as suffering is probably more accurate. The Galatian churches had begun to suffer for putting their trust in Christ. Those believers had begun to suffer for their faith. And so I think in this context, it reads better to say, did you suffer so much for nothing? Have, have you stepped out of the the... the the easy part of, of living in your culture, there in your synagogue or in your church, have you, have you stepped into a faith in Christ and begun to suffer for your faith for nothing? Are, are you going to go back to the, to the law? Are you going to go back to the flesh and try to live out this life, doing it on your own in your own strength? Have you suffered so much for nothing? Are you so, so foolish as to, as to step back into the bondage of religion and law and step out of the freedom that you have in Christ to walk in a relationship with him. If you, if you started by the Spirit, doesn't it make sense that the only way that you can live out this life is by the Spirit? If it was by faith that you began doesn't it, doesn't it make sense that you can only please God every single day of your life by walking in faith and not by trying to do it in your own strength or by your own flesh? We understand that our flesh is sinful. It's that sinful flesh that disqualifies us from being able to step into the Holy of Holies and have a relationship with God. That same sinful flesh is not trustworthy in this world any more than it's trustworthy for eternity. And then in verse 5, he says, so then does God give you the spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing, by, by faith in what you've heard? It's like Abraham who believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Paul wants them to look back and, and remember Abraham. Think about that for just a moment. We're having all kinds of issues with these days, aren't we? Think about that for just a moment. Abraham was asked by God to leave his country, to gather up his family, all of his belongings, and go to a place, God said, go to a place that I will show you. God wasn't even giving him directions on where he was supposed to go. 
So Abraham, by faith, gathered up everything that he owned, all of his family, all of his livestock, all of his wealth, and he left, trusting God to lead him and care for him by faith. All through Abraham's life, he was challenged to walk by faith. He was told by God that because of his faith, God was going to bless him and that his descendants were going to be greater than the number of stars in the sky. God told him at one point, go outside, look up at the sky and count the stars if you can. Your descendants will outnumber the stars. At that point, Abraham didn't even have a son. How in the world? Abraham asked the question, how in the world am I going to have that many descendants if I don't even have a child? I don't even have a son. And God said, trust me. We read part of that from Galatians chapter 15 a little while ago. God said, I'm going to go back to, to I'm, not, I'm sorry, not Galatians, Genesis 15. I'm going to go back there for just a moment. Uh, we read, we caught a glimpse of it in Hebrews 11. But in Genesis 15, the scripture says, after these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abraham continued, look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him. This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, look at the sky and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said, your offspring will be that numerous. Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him for righteousness. We know the history. Not only did God bless Abraham, did God give Abraham a son? God, God called Abraham to take another step of faith. When he didn't have a sacrifice, he was called to take Isaac up on the mountain, his one and only son, and offer Isaac as a sacrifice. And when God did that, he provided a lamb. By faith, God provided a sacrifice. God moved and blessed and fulfilled his promise to Abraham, and he is still fulfilling that promise to Abraham today. Paul is going to argue, even in this text, that you and I, in a spiritual way, are connected to Abraham as his descendants by faith. Faith is the key connector. Faith is the key to Abraham's relationship with the living God. Faith is the key connector for our relationship with the living God. We cannot walk in a relationship with him, and we cannot please the living God without faith. God's miraculous works are only seen by faith. If Abraham would have never left Ur, he would have never seen God's works and God's blessings. If Abraham hadn't believed God for a son, he'd have never had Isaac. Abraham would have never seen the provision on the mountaintop if he had not taken Isaac up there by faith. And you can go on and on and on throughout Scripture. Moses would have never gotten to see God part the Red Sea had he not by faith gone back to Egypt to deliver the children of Israel. The children of Israel would have never gotten to see the walls of Jericho fall unless they did what sounded so foolish to stomp around those walls, praising and worshiping their Lord God until the walls fell. By faith, they saw the walls of Jericho fall. We'd never have the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had they not by faith 
trusted God, entered, in, entered into the fiery furnace. And yet, they see God move, they see the miracles of God, and then the next time something difficult comes, a challenge comes, we have to do it all again. We have to trust Him by faith. Now, we know that. We know that it's impossible to please God except by faith. See, if you never trust something, if you never try something or you never trust God with something that is beyond your own ability by faith in God, you'll never truly get to experience God's miraculous power. I'm not a guy who keeps a journal. I wish I was. I remember years ago, even, even back when Dennis Ratt was still on staff with us, after I'd been pastor here for a few years, we, we were challenged to write down things that we had seen happen in this church that defied human understanding, that, that look, God moved in a way that you just can't explain away in human terms. We sat down in a staff meeting and gave up at number 40. When we trust God and God alone with our lives, we will see God's power at work, transforming us, changing us, using us in ways that we could have never done on our own. I've seen that happen in big and little ways just in, in recent weeks, months, even this week, when we trusted God for an answer and God provided in a way that just blew us away. We have to come to a place where we're going to say, I want to trust the Lord and not just do what I can do in my own strength and my own ability. See, I couldn't save myself in my own strength. I, I wasn't holy enough. I wasn't good enough to earn salvation, why in the world would I think that my flesh is good enough to be pleasing to God as I live out this life? Paul says here in Galatians chapter 3 that it is by faith that we were connected as Abraham's son. The Scripture saw in advance, verse 8, that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. See, this story isn't new. The, 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 the call to walk by faith and trust God for eternity as well as for this life didn't begin at the cross. It didn't begin at Pentecost. It began with God in the garden. It's, it's seen here in Abraham's life. Abraham was was accredited righteousness because of his faith. The, the law had not even been implemented yet. Abraham wasn't trying to live up to some standard of the law. Abraham simply was walking with God by faith. And, and because of his faith, he got to see God do miraculous things time and time again. And it is because of your faith and my faith that we'll get to see God do miraculous things time and again. I want to I go back as we, we, we come to a conclusion and re-examine those four currencies of our life that I mentioned earlier. You might call them commodities. Because you truly display your faith by how you live out your life in these four areas. And there may be more, but let me give you these four. You display your faith by who you put your 
who you trust with your health and your well-being. My niece was struggling with her daughter who's been having seizures and needed brain surgery. And, and just this week, had, after doing the research, my niece is a, is a, is a nurse at, at Cook's Children's, and after doing all the research and seeking direction and praying, she literally put her daughter Cora in the hands or under the care of a surgeon who was going to remove part of her skull, skull and actually disconnect and remove part of her brain to help deal with these seizures that were unable to be controlled by medication. That's putting a lot of trust in a doctor, putting a lot of trust in a hospital system. That, that, that's more than just believing that they can help your daughter. That's faith when you, you put your, your most precious child in their hands. As I said earlier, you display your faith time and again by who, how you put your health or your, your well-being in the hands of, of whether it's an automobile manufacturer or, or Boeing when you get on an airplane or whoever that happens to be. You're putting a lot of trust. Now, a lot of times we're putting our trust there and, and you're willing to put your faith in an automobile manufacturer because you've seen time and again that it worked. There's no guarantee that your brakes will work the next time, but thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of times it's been proved that those brakes work. Well, I'm here to tell you that God will take care of you. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords, I, I heard you sing it earlier, that, that Jesus is Lord of all. As we sang the, 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 the great hymn, Jesus Messiah, you sang it fervently. We as a congregation shouted out, Jesus is Lord of all. Well, if he is Lord of all, can I trust him with my health? Can I trust him with my well-being? What if he calls me to go somewhere for him that I'm not comfortable? Can I trust him with my health and my well-being? I've heard folks say in the past, well, I'll go wherever God calls me as long as it's not. Can I trust him if he is Lord of all? Is God calling you to go somewhere that you're worried about your well-being? Is God calling you to put your life in, in his hands in a way that, that you, it, it creates fear in you? Can you trust him if he's Lord of all with your well-being? What about your finances? Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, instruct them to do what is good, be rich in good works, be generous and willing to share, storing up treasures for themselves as a good fortune for the coming age that they may take hold of what is truly life. We say that we believe in eternal life. We say that we believe in, in the kingdom of God. We say that we believe there's a heaven. Are you treating your finances in such a way that you believe that is true, that you have faith in that? Because Jesus told us, as I quoted in Matthew 6 earlier, that if you, if you truly believe that he is who he says he is, that you're going to invest in things of the kingdom you're going to take your money, your finances, one of the currencies of your life, and you're going to put them into things that matter beyond the grave. And yet, how often do we plan for retirement to make sure that we have enough to finish out this world, but we're not focused on the investment of what we say is eternity? 
You can take a look at your finances and see where you're spending your money, where you're investing your finances. And if you're not investing them in the kingdom of God, I would say you may say that you believe that there's an eternity. You may say that you believe that there's a kingdom that God has called you to be a part of, but you don't trust it. You're not trusting him with your finances. Whether you, whether or not you believe in eternal life is going to be reflected in your finances and how you spend your money because that's a, that's a real life everyday thing. That's something that you have to live with every day. If you're only storing up for yourself treasures on earth, you may say that you believe in, a, in an eternal kingdom, but you're not displaying it by your act of faith. What about your relationships? Here's one way to illustrate it in our relationships. Do you share the gospel with those who are closest to you, to your family members, to your friends, to your neighbors? Because here's the truth. We'll say that we believe that there's a heaven and a hell. We'll say that we believe what the Bible says, that, that Jesus Christ is the only way to eternal life. We'll say that. But then when it comes to, am I going to tell this person who I know is lost, am I going to tell them about Jesus? Sometimes we're afraid to tell them because we're afraid that it may break our relationship. A relationship that is destined to only last however many years you have left on this earth unless that person is saved. See, you can say that you believe in a heaven or hell, but if you truly believe in hell, you'll do everything that you can to tell those around you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and I'd suggest that one of two things has to happen. If, if you know somebody, you believe somebody is lost, and you're not praying for their salvation, you're not actively seeking a way to share the gospel with them, or you're not sharing the gospel with them, you may say that you love them, but if you're going to let them die without hearing the gospel, then you either don't believe in hell or you don't love them. Isn't that the truth? If you're going to let somebody slip into eternity without hearing the gospel from your lips, you either must really not like them or you must not really believe that eternity is true. See, we can say we believe, but what we do with that belief displays where our faith truly is. Do you have faith in God to save those who are lost when the gospel is proclaimed? Finally, one other, and this may be the most valuable currency that you and I have, is our time. You can spend money and make more money, can't you? But other than relationships, our time is the most valuable currency because you only have so much time. And where you and I invest our time is an indication of what we really believe matters. If we believe that a relationship with a holy God is, is the key to not only our salvation, but the key to living out a life that's pleasing to Him, we will trust Him and we will walk 
by faith. Our time, where we spend our time and what we spend our time doing is going to be an indicator of what we value most, what we truly, truly believe. And so how you're, who you're trusting with your health and your well-being, who you're putting your, your health in, physical and emotional health, what you're doing with your finances, what you're doing about your relationships, especially in regard to sharing the gospel, and how you're spending your time, those things truly indicate what you believe, where your faith is. And I, I believe that, that God's Word would encourage you that He is trustworthy. God calls you to do something, you can trust Him with your health. If God calls you to sit, put your money somewhere, you can trust Him with your finances. If God calls you to share the gospel with somebody, you can trust Him to take care of that person, those relationships. If God calls you to invest your time in something, you can trust Him. But if you go through life unwilling to trust God, if you, if you go through life unwilling to step out in faith, for daily life. You're, I trust him for eternity. I trust that he'll get me to heaven when I die, but I really don't trust him with my money. I really don't trust him with my career. I really don't trust him with my relationships. I really don't trust him with my time. You're not walking by faith and you're not pleasing to a holy God. Not only that, Paul basically says, you're an idiot. You're a fool. Because you know that you couldn't save yourself, why do you think you can live out a life in any other way except by faith in a holy God? If you give him that chance, if you trust him, when it seems like all is dark and it doesn't make sense and you, you sense God calling you to do something and, 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 and you're scared, and, and the calculator says that you'll fail, but you believe God's calling you to it, step out in faith. Walk by faith, not by sight. And you'll live a life pleasing to God. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.